Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you ever considered growing elderberries on your farm? For one, they're super easy. You stick the sticks in the ground and they just grow. Trust me, I know, it's what worked on our farm. Second, the demand is skyrocketing. Third, they grow in marginal areas on your farm. So they don't require prime agricultural land and are great in a kind of a swampy area or in a hilly area. They just grow really well. And they're so good for you. So um, we put together a special series on them. This is the first episode of four, and we'll be releasing them over the next couple days. But to get the full experience, go to our Elderberry Workshop Dot com, and we have video versions of the presentations as well as additional resources and info about elderberries. So head on over to elderberryworkshop.com, get all the details, and buckle up because you're going to hear four sessions on all things elderberry. Hey everyone, I have Trisha Jackson from Trisha's Elderberries with me today. Trisha, good to see you. Hey, good to see you too. So why don't you give us a, you know, 30 second intro to who you are and what you do? Sure. Yes. So I own Trisha's Elderberries and we are a light manufacturer of all um, end products, elderberry um, materials, goods and services. So we've got elderberry syrup, DIY kits, elixirs, balms, all that sort of thing. So we take all raw materials. Um, we use our um, herbal based practices, put together formulas, and then we produce it for the end consumer who's looking for natural wellness products. Yeah. And your background actually was different. You didn't talk to us about how you got into this world. Sure. Yeah. So there's, it's a very, very long story. So I'm going to try to give you the, the short of it. Um, 20 years I spent in corporate digital marketing. And along the way, I, I was a brand new mom moonlighting and the after hours while my husband was a stay at home dad and was teaching um, health and wellness classes freezer meal workshops. We always started talking about what our family did being a more natural mm-hmm. family. And we started, I started telling them about, you know, elderberry, cause it was the, you know, we do these freezer workshops during cold and flu season. So I was distributing mini bags, literally in post-it notes on Ziploc bags and just yeah. giving away my recipe and say, Hey, go make this. It's working for families. So that was around 2009. We did that for a couple of years, 2012, it started to really take off. Um, and so 2012, we started doing more and more of DIY kits, which yeah. you know we have an evolution of. So my business was really spent, started on these, this idea of a dry kit, just teaching people how to make it on their own in their own yeah. home. Um, come fast forward 2017, um, our business was so substantial that we I left my corporate exec gig and we did this full time. And at that time, my I had a, an online course for holistic health and a membership. And my clients were saying, this is all really well and good. You're teaching us the good stuff, but we want you to do this. Mm. We don't want to do it ourselves anymore. Yeah. You've taught us how, but we really just want you to do it. So that just kind of exploded the doors for all the other products yeah. um, that we currently offer. Yeah. And the kind of like talk scale a little bit. I mean, like I saw a picture that you put out of like literally dozens and dozens of boxes <laughs> all around your room for literally two days worth of orders. 
Yes. Yeah. So I think that we started seeing this huge increase, right? In the early 2000s, people are starting to become more aware of natural wellness and it's been a steady progress. And then you'll start to see these little blips. If you look at any chart, um, you know, fast forward again, around 2015, I think it was, you know, Dr. Oz of all people got on the, the Oprah show or some, some yeah. media events and started talking about the benefits of elderberry. So we saw which I called it the start of the elderberry boom. So we see that sort of, you know, for better, or for worse media uplift, um, um, yeah. And then we start to see it again in 2017. I think Dr. Josh, Josh Axe, who has a huge audience, starts talking about it. So we've got this bigger social media presence. And then we hit pandemic. So, uh -huh. you know, 2020, for a lot of people that were just getting started in this business, they they saw 2020 as being like the normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, it was a huge increase for a lot of people. Um, it was certainly a huge increase in our personal business. Um, and then, you know, on into 2021, we sort of had COVID hangover and then yeah. we go into 2022 and we just had this incremental gain just from all the people that we helped over the last two years and starting to explore other things because we're talking about not just the health benefits everyone knows it for, but now we're talking about inflammation as yeah. a result of the last two years and, you know, allergies yeah. and all the other things. So yeah. we are seeing its explosive growth all over. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just my business, but it's for the industry at large. Yeah. Um, I, in my kitchen, I started, I was working right next to a baker. And so there was a baker and there was a coffee maker. So we saw this growth, not just in the, the health world, but like in the flavoring world. So now yeah. I was laughing because Dr. Bronner's has like an elderberry shampoo and an elderberry body scrub and deodorant. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like, Blowing yeah. my mind why we'd want to smell like elderberries, but yeah, it's okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I guess needless to say, elder is in, and that's why the need for them is so much. Now, talk a little bit about you. You sell uh, mail, um, the direct mail, but you also supply a number. Like you supply our store with elderberry yeah. products. We create your full line. You supply um, health stores. You supply. Talk to us a little bit about like the the wholesale partners sure. you work with as well. Yeah. So we've taken our business and we wanted to be pandemic proof. And so yeah. what that, and, and whatever else is going to come our way. So we just wanted to make sure that we had a very distributed and diversified, we diversify our financials. We wanted to make that in our business as well. So yeah. first and foremost is direct to consumer. That's that comprises about 75, maybe 78 okay. of our business. Mm -hmm. We do sell to, um, we love supporting our farmers. So we sell to a lot of farm stands and those are stands kind of like yours, right? Or your bus. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's farmers who have uh, retail space on their properties. Um, we have not gone into farmers markets. I'm a busy mom. We homeschool yeah. and it takes a lot of time. Um, but I do look at large markets. So I look at where my ideal, my ideal audiences are. And I go to the very large events. Think about um, it's, they're not home and garden shows, but that on that sort of scale, like full, full expo scales. And then we do sell to very um, unique people. Like we have chiropractors and functional medicine practitioners. We've got um, salon owners. Um, so we get into these niches. Um, our business is not set up to go um, to large grocery store chains. We, that is not going to be our focus um, for many different, different reasons. Um, we will not be selling on Amazon. Um, so things like that, those are big opportunities for other people and other makers that are doing that. Um, just not right for our business. So yeah. Yeah, we have lots of different distribution channels to make sure that we are servicing our clients where they want to be serviced. Yeah, and this keeps you very, very, very busy because I know like we've talked about other things like I just don't have the time for that. Um, you just had to shed those things just to be able to literally, how many days in the kitchen are you a week making elderberry? 
Um, really during busy season about twice. So twice a week. So, but we're there for about eight hours in total. So yeah. from the time that we start the water to the very end, when we're hitting those, putting them back into the boxes, yeah. it's a length of, it's a lengthy process. Um, during the slower periods, which we call the sleepy months, you know, March through yeah. probably August, right before back to school hits, then maybe once or twice a month. Yeah. Okay. And so describe the process for us. And you've got your, you, you've worked on your recipe for a long time. So you have a very specific recipe you use, yes. um, but you put all the product in these big bowl. Cause I've seen pictures, you posted pictures around. So yeah. let's talk us through a little bit of how that works. Sure. Yeah. So it's actually a very simple process, but the recipe is, is the key. So the recipe yeah. and the the time and temperature and the way that you process. So you can you can process elderberry in a couple of different ways. Um, and we make an elderberry syrup. So we make this, yep. this bottled, this is our very large bottle. This yep. is our large bottled product. And ours, as you can tell, I'm in my office. This is my my picture bottle. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, this is a shelf stable product. So this is a hot filled product and you can make a refrigerated product as well. So it's as easy as simmering water, bringing your, um, bring your berries and all the other herbs to simmer, and then you strain it, you press it out. We are a little bit, I would consider medium to large scale. Um, yeah. So we have a giant press that, well, a wine press that we use. And um, then from there, we add our honey, we add our um, acidifier, and then we um, will bottle it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it's a shelf stable product. So how long does that last? Um, so it'll last on the shelves about a year. If okay. it's in your fridge, about six to eight months, depending. Yeah. yeah. And so those, and as I just want to caveat those timeframes always change by recipe and then by yeah. inversion times. There's lots of science that goes behind it. So that's why I said our pro the process to make it's very easy. It's getting your recipe right, getting, you know, the, all the chemicals and the pHs and all those processes in between yeah. uh, to the right, the right, yeah. what you need it to be as well. Now, the nice thing about elderberry too, is it's something that yes, they can take just during cold and flu, but they technically can dose every day throughout the year. Um, and like your large bottle has what about 60 servings? Yes. It's about 64 servings for the large bottle. So you're only, you're taking a, at least of our formula, you're taking a tablespoon a day. Um, yeah. and it can be taken daily elderberry as we are, we are now finally coming to fruition. It's considered an immunomodulator. So yeah. the old science days, everyone got hung up on words like immune booster or stimulate yeah. the immune system. And really that's not the action that it does in the body, but that's what everyone knows. So it's a little yeah. bit of a marketing play there, um, yeah. but it really helps your body just stabilize the immune system. So a daily use is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. So let's talk about those who, okay, so maybe they're listening to you here and they're like, okay, so let's say I just want to grow elderberries. What's the opportunity for people? Maybe they just want to wholesale. They just want to grow elderberries and sell it. What are people looking like you looking for? Yes. So if you are looking, so there's lots of different opportunities um, for people who are growing to sell. So one of them is to wholesale to makers. Yeah. And so the top of mind for makers is number one, um, price to market. Um, number two is whether it's a fresh frozen or dehydrated product. Mm -hmm. um, one of the problems that we as makers have is that we don't have a ton of storage space. Yeah. Um, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of availability. It takes, um, so it takes about to make a product like mine. It's the calculation is one pound of dried equals seven pounds of frozen or fresh berries. Yeah. So that requires, you know, when we're buying, you know, two to 3000 pounds, yeah. it's going to require that much more in storage and freezer space because we tend to buy all at once to get our costs down and yeah. then we don't have that much space. 
Yeah. Um, so that's that's problematic. Um, and then price is always a consideration. If you're if you're selling to larger makers, it's less of a problem. But there are a ton of small community makers, and so that becomes problematic because it, between honey, honey is always our number one cost, and yeah. then elderberry second behind that, and, and cinnamon mixed in there somewhere. Yeah. So um, that's the yeah. So that's the one thing. I mean, there's obviously an opportunity for harvest season comes. You go through, harvest them all, put them in buckets, freeze them. Um, if someone has the, the capacity, they could buy that, just could direct all your berries at once. That's or right. the better thing I think you're saying is dehydrate them because then you have a lot longer shelf life and they could just sell, you know, a pallet or whatever it is every Absolutely. week to, you yep. know, to the makers. How many makers do you think there are in the U.S.? Um, by my estimates, I so I work with about a thousand now. My estimates is yep. probably about two thousand to twenty five hundred. Yep. Um, there's a lot of folks that are doing it just sort of, you know, covertly under the yeah. radar, and then there's yeah. a lot of folks that are doing it as an actual business as well. Um, but on the on the on the extension of all of those things that there are lots of people who are making it uh, as the consumer as well. So yes. there are a lot of retail opportunities. So let me, let me step back to wholesale. So there's the maker and wholesale, yeah. but we're also seeing this uplift in people like bars and restaurants, uh, mm -hmm. makers, like I was saying the coffee makers, um, lots of different opportunities for wholesale, um, that people can extend as well. So we're starting to see the overall market on the wholesale side. Yeah. Um, lift as well because people those people are coming to us makers saying do you have extra berries because they can't find them and they're yeah. buying in a smaller quantity which is great news for the smaller farmer yeah. because you need to find and start networking with those bakeries and bars and you know craft cocktail places or yeah. and, and uh, the mocktail and cocktail industry is also growing so the number of people that are making mixers um, yeah. is, is an opportunity as well Gotcha. All right. So now I know the main thing is, well, a lot of people are buying in from Europe. And so obviously, you know, our goal is to build the U.S.-based side of that, because again, it's a crop that does great in the U.S. We have a different type of elderberry than the European. Again, there's a discussion if it's better or not. Um, right. But I think that is, you know, a big thing is like we have the space to grow it. It grows where it, not a lot of other things will grow. So it'll grow on marginal land. But let's talk about the retail side. Because we just talked about the wholesale. I mean, you can sell to as people makers, you can sell to restaurants, bars, as you said, people that are making other products like soaps and other things like that. Um, yeah. But if someone wants to get into the retail game, what are the different products they can offer? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, I guess I look at retail two ways. So you can retail the berries, right? So there are a lot of opportunities just to sell berries to the consumer, either at yeah. farmer's markets. So you can sell fresh. Now this is a, this is what it didn't look like this at first, um, but this is our DIY kit. So mm -hmm. in here, and this is why dehydrate is really important for makers. Yeah. So dehydrate, because we make, now I don't, I have elder flowers, which I'll show you in a minute. Um, but these are the berries. So in this is a little muslin tea bag. I'll just open it up. Um, so this is the kit I make. So this is a, um, a version of my recipe that I make available. And it's super easy that we just, our consumers can just drop it in their yep. similar water and they don't have to do what I call the, the float and strain method, which is super yes. crazy. Yes. Yes. And labor intensive. Um, so anyhow, so yeah, so this is the DIY kit. So you have the opportunity to dehydrate your own berries and create your own kits to sell direct to consumer. That's where I built my business. Yeah. That's where a lot of people start because this in many States is considered a, um, like on the up and up with cottage food laws. So uh -huh. this one doesn't require yes. all of the licensure that and making the um, elderberry syrup does. 
Yeah. Um, so that's one. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but the but the flowers are actually more um, that are higher in polyphenols than the berries are. In the U.S., we are nuts about berries here for whatever reason. Uh -huh. In Europe, they go after elder flowers. Uh huh. So elder. So I make an elder tea, and so these this there's there's no berry in here. This is all flowers. So you can harvest your flowers. So if you take you know the 20, the eighty twenty rule, harvest twenty percent of our flowers. This makes an awesome liqueur. You can do a dehydrated loose leaf tea yep. like this. And this is actually all herbal. You don't even have to use. This is just, you know, orange, mine's orange peels, rose hips, nettles, and um, and the elderflowers. Um, so you can make teas, you can make um bath tea people. It's like this big craze right now um, among yeah. beauty influencers. Um, but they're making elderflower bath tea. Um, so you can do things like that. And then you can also do, so we have an elder balm. So yeah. this is a recipe that we've go, gone and created um, using some all natural um, butters and oils to make a balm. Yeah. So very soothing as well. And that's, those are made with elder flowers. Again, learning how to use berries, like learning how to extract your berries either with alcohol or glycerin or yeah. water reductions are important. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we've got that. And then, um, so obviously the DYI kits, and then obviously the syrup, if you want to make your own syrup, um, and then infusing, are people infusing elderberries into anything? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so like things like skincare products is probably the biggest infusion, right? Um, yeah. So, so we use them to, and we infuse it into oil. So you can use like, even as easy as olive oil, olive oil, almonds, oil, avocado oil, but then you can get super fancy jojoba oil, macadamia, all the different oils, they all have different extraction rates. Mm -hmm. And so you'll want to find what, what's best for your customer. So your customer will tell you, Hey, I want a product that looks like this. So that's how we yeah. created all, that's how we created elder balm. So we use the berries and or flowers. We extract them for a period of time in something like oil or alcohol or glycerin. And then we use that to make the product. So the extra, gotcha. so you're basically yeah. extracting all the nutrients yeah. to infuse into the end product. Yeah. Um, and then yes, you can make elixirs and concentrates. This doesn't have my label on it yet, um, but you can make those things. And so this is just a lengthier process. It falls under lots of other regulations, um, but you can do fancy things like this as well. Yeah. So speak to that for a second. Obviously you mentioned the, uh, the regulation earlier. Typically what is like make elderberry syrup? What's the legal aspects you need typically? Yeah. So if you're selling the public domain, what you'll need is a commercial kitchen first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and you'll, you'll go through your department of agriculture now across the different States. So that looks different. So Arizona does it by County Ohio. It's the state department of agriculture. Yeah. Um, they all have their new, their different nuances. So you go through those folks and then you're, you're talking to them about what you're trying to produce, how you're producing it. They, they will require you to have that commercial kitchen. They'll come in and inspect you. So they inspect your process. They watch you make it. And then they will determine whether it's a bottling license, a canning license, however you need it because based on your products, yeah. so yours might like a little bit, look a little different than mine. Um, and then if you're going to go shelf stable, that's sort of, so that's sort of how you get legal. And then shelf stable, you work with another company called, or another group called a processing authority. Yep. It's not a state jurisdiction, but they are the ones that, that are like the food scientists. So they will say, if you're going to be on shelves, it needs to have a certain water reactivity. Mold has to be under certain, it's got to have a certain pH. Yes. And then they literally give you a document after you pay them lots of money, <laughs> they give you a document that says, here's how your product is going to, this is how you're going to process it. And then lots of documentation to do that. Um, so that's, and then you have to sit through a school that's like $400 if you go through the University of Tennessee. Yeah. So better processing school. And so you have to make sure it's an acidified product processed in the right way. So both of those, and if you're not shelf stable, 
then the Department of Agriculture is going to tell you this is what's required of you. Yeah, so yeah. It's a lot simpler. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so there are things like labeling requirements, right? So you have yeah. to make sure that it's all proper labeled. And this is, I can't stress this enough. This is the number one way that you can tell if someone's on the up and up or not. You can just look at their label and you, and you know, so yeah. people will be looking across events to make sure that you're doing what you need to do. Gotcha. But obviously, as you said, there's a whole underground movement as well of people literally selling to their friends and their neighbors for the first couple hundred pounds of berries. Yes. And again, it's yeah, they don't when when you start going to the farmers markets, when you start selling a lot more then I think then you need to do that. But you can obviously again, we've made your kid in our kitchen um, and it's very super simple. It's, it's yeah, not very hard at all. So um, you can do that. Um, and you uh, actually, so you offer a couple things. Um, you have a, a group and you also have an online course. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I have a, I have a large marketing background. So I had started a group in 2000 and gosh, 19, I think early mm -hmm. 2019. And it's called the grow your elderberry products business group. And it is specifically for people who are manufacturing or intend to manufacture a product. So if you are looking to use your elderberry um, cuttings or in the, your elderberry shrub, produce berries and flowers, and then you are going to be the manufacturer, this is the group for you. Um, so this is, uh, our group does not touch farming. It doesn't touch growing or harvesting any of those practices. It's literally, Hey, we're making products. Let's go. Let's, let's yeah. learn how to do that. So, um, because I knew how to build communities and, uh, and teach people what we were doing, that's where this free group on Facebook kind of popped up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you also have a course. You don't, you're not super active with that right now, but yeah. you also do teach makers how to do the whole process. That's right. Yeah. So in the off elderberry season, so as a, as a maker, we consider prime elderberry season from the start of school season, the start of the school year to end of allergy season. So yeah. right about, um, or I guess it's middle of the allergy season. So April through July is when I start really helping to teach people. So we have our yeah. course go live. We have, um, we had a marketing membership teaching makers how to market their products. Mm -hmm. um, so that will likely come alive again here in April. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, Trisha, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find out more about the educational side of your business? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So the elderberryentrepreneur.com is a great place to start, or you can okay. look us up on Facebook and join the group for Grow Your Elderberry Product Business. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. So that's a wrap, folks. And if you want to hear more about elderberries and get the video version of this presentation, head on over to elderberryworkshop.com where you can sign up to get all four sessions in a video format as well as additional resources on all things elderberry. So we have places to buy elderberries, places to get courses, more info to learn about the different speakers and all of that in this series. So head on over to elderberryworkshop.com. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.